Hello, everyone, and welcome to a new episode of the Formula Scout podcast. I'm the host today, Alejandro Alonso Lopez, and joining me is our club trotter, Ida Bull. In this week's episode, we will discuss all the action we've lived on the ground at Barcelona in the Formula 2 test and also the Po Grand Prix. So, Ida, you've been at Po this this weekend it's it was the main event of the weekend so far in, in motorsports the 80th grand prix of of po. how did you make of it um it was my third trip to the race and it was probably the worst organized edition of the grand prix yet um so last year's one was the first time they'd run it since the pandemic and there was a lot of pressures to make it suitable for you know like social distancing and all that kind of stuff so a lot of considerations taken then and this year they had this ambitious plan to make it like a, a sustainably fueled event and the ambitions went a little too far quite a lot of miscommunication and we ended up with an event with lots of like very low profile series uh you know a lot of crashes a lot of very strange moments and all rounds not particularly well organized either from like a racing point of view but also from like a a track organization point of view because i didn't even get checked um if i had a pass when i first entered the site on thursday they just wanted to see what was in my bag which was a computer and some food and then they just let me in and i was in the media center and then i was walking around the paddock and the track and you know that that's not usual so lots to be learned i'd say for for the organizers Yes, as you mentioned, there were some, well, not last minute, but last week cancellations with Euro Formula not tending for in the end. Ed, how do you think that affected the, the organization in terms of they needed to reschedule the, the whole event? Do you think that uh, Formula, for Euro Formula missing from, from the weekend? then into a bit of a chaotic situation having to put the f4 race as the main as the main race of the weekend it, it should have made it easier because you're essentially taking like four hours of track action out of the weekend which means if you have delays with other things you've got less pressure to uh you know get all the sessions in before the end of the day so it should have helped them actually organize the weekend by removing so much of it but what instead happened was they tried to, you know, bump Formula 4 into being the top race and therefore having the prime time slot on the Sunday, while also having the rest of the weekend run to like the usual schedule that had originally been planned. So it all felt very weird. And sometimes there was big gaps in the timetable where previously, you know, there would have been uh, not only Euro Formula, but also other series they'd planned over winter to be racing there. But then they all fell through. So, uh, yeah, it was a bit of a chaotically run thing and i don't think euro formula's exit per se made that more difficult i think it was more the fact that euro formula is a is a series based in spain and this was a french run event with a lot of french series and therefore you know like the race control team they're shared amongst various championships and circuits and venues and like the marshals uh most of them are supplied by a local motor club but also a lot of them were supplied just by the french federation around the country when euro formula comes they bring their own race director their own technical team they bring all these additional personnel which means the grand prix doesn't have to worry about you know providing those uh people or finding them um so without that it then put additional pressure on those who had been 
responsible for being the race director for French F4, for example, to then be the, you know, the race director for the Grand Prix, the biggest race of the weekend. So uh, there was, that was kind of like a, a change that as a spectator or even as a journalist, you wouldn't really see, but you could tell that it meant people were multitasking when they wouldn't have previously been, um, which also made it really hard to catch people because they'd be going from, uh, you know, being a technician to then being on TV for local, you know, French TV to then helping cars move out the assembly area. And they were just like doing all these roles when, you know, a well-organized event would have one person for every role, but you know, it is how it is. Well, you also, you also mentioned uh, at the very beginning that uh, the fact that Euro Formula wasn't there should have is this situation with less on track hours and of course more time to reschedule due to due to to the delays. We actually had some very big delays this weekend at Po. What happened? Yeah, so the second French F4 race, we had a 50-minute delay a few laps in. And uh, what happened was we had a crash where a car basically fell apart. A um, bit like Romain Grosjean's crash in Bahrain a few years ago. Just the rear wheel assembly and the back of the chassis just ripped off um, and kind of created across the track. And there was five cars or six that were taken out in total in this incident. And two of them then couldn't. Uh, race in the Grand Prix the next day uh, and we had this a few times during the weekend uh, because track temperatures are very low running behind the safety car cars are also crashing while they're behind the safety car as well so it made bringing up tires up to temperature really difficult so they opted to basically red flag the race as long as possible wait until it's a little warmer and a little drier and then restart the races but that meant we had a gap of 50 minutes for race two and in the Grand Prix itself I think it was 17 minutes um which is kind of similar and that we had an instant that needed clearing and then we had another instant that wasn't anticipated and you know it just prolongs before we got back to, to green flag action but in the end I think aside from the drivers involved in the huge crash in race two um that in race three they thought it actually added an extra challenge to the race because they started it in dry and then it became wet so they had to learn two very different conditions on a track obviously none of them had driven on before so, so that was really interesting to see well focusing a bit on what happened on track of course which is actually the most important thing in, in motorsports the race and of course the previous sessions qualifying we had kevin foster on, on pole but it was eventually enzo Pirjo who won race one and then the Paul Grand Prix with, I think it was Garrett Berry winning race two after the, the chaos and the delay you mentioned. What, what did you make of those three races and, and especially of, of the Grand Prix? Because as you said, we had a dry start, and then it went wet, uh, they red flagged the race actually and, and drivers went out in the wet with very low visibilities and drivers mentioned that it was very difficult to to see while driving behind other cars so it was it was a bit of everything to be fair yeah um a bit like a lot of formula 4 rounds and particularly early during seasons you have race one of the weekend where everyone's kind of a bit too timid they they don't want to take risks and because nothing goes wrong in race one they then go way too hard into race two and cause that chaos and then in race three you kind of get that balance of people have learned over the weekend of how they need to handle themselves during the race so 
uh, it was it was that kind of narrative through the weekend. What was interesting was the areas of the track that had been resurfaced may have been grippier, but they weren't necessarily like flatter. So from if you're starting on pole, you're on the outside, which was actually worse than starting from second place because the outside line was kind of bumpy, even though it was grippier. So even though like you could get good traction, you could also get a bit of rear wheel spin if you went over a bump where uh, you know, the left hand side of the car is gripped to the track, but the right hand side is kind of dipping over. Um, so that made a lot of drivers kind of annoyed that they'd qualified well or they'd lined up a pass and then found out they're on the outside line and it just slowed them down. Um, but Peugeot actually pulled, up, pulled off a brilliant move there, showing that when you can get it gripped up, it's, it's a really good place to make an overtake. Um, and like you said, with the visibility, once the rain came, it kind of obviously street racing is hard to pass anyway but when there's loads of spray it's not like you can go to the left or the right of someone to get out that spray because there isn't enough room to You're, you are stuck behind the sp in the spray as long as you are behind another car um and that that really like reduced the actual amount of race action we had even once we were under green flag conditions but that's kind of predictable and given the moves Peugeot had made to earn the lead i think it was you know fans had something to at least watch and celebrate about there and I think there was another good overtake further down the field uh, and another thing rather interestingly with the like the bigger F4 cars we have now compared to a few years ago but I remember back in the day with like Formula Renault as well with the really tight hairpins cars would basically come to a standstill but with these cars they're actually like maintaining a, a speed around these really tight corners which uh, stops uh, incidents where you have like four cars piling into the back of each other because they're going so slowly into a corner um, and that was an encouraging sign, even in the wet conditions. Um, as for like the quality of the racing further down the field, some people called it amateurish, um, others called it things that can't be repeated. But overall, I think it was, you know, for a, for a century run series as well, where you don't have teams and you don't have, you know, a, a teammate to hit per se. So you don't learn that way uh, of how badly things can go. Um, I think everyone tried to keep out of each other's way, but it was just on lap one. How can you tell the grip level? You've got to actually go offline. You've got to, uh, you know, see if you can break later than someone to see if it's possible. And you only find out if it's not possible by crashing. So, um, yeah, I think for fans of F4, it was a good weekend to watch. I think for people who were going to the Grand Prix expecting to see, you know, the peak of racing because it's a Grand Prix, you're actually just seeing 15-year-olds learning how to drive. But, you know, it is what it is. You actually made a point there with uh, the fact that uh, obviously this small, small car, F4 cars, uh, are able to to maintain speed through through the, the tightest corners. Uh, do you think that, considering cars are bigger and bigger every time, uh, the future of old school street tracks is on on F4 competitions? It depends because to actually get these street circuits and get these events running, you've got to have a series you can promote as a promoter. And clearly something like Euro Formula or Formula 3 is far easier to sell to not only you know a paying audience in the grandstands, but to the people who fund the event because you can go, these are more likely to be the F1 stars of the future or you're going to have a higher quality racing. Whereas, you know, it's really, really hard to convince a promoter to agree to run an F4 race on a street circuit because 
A, it's probably going to be full of crashes because the drivers are inexperienced. B, like spectators and sponsors aren't interested in unproven drivers. Um, and also, although like, yes, we had uh, cars that could go around the hairpins, an F4 is a century run series, uh, French F4 century run, so it kind of, you know what the car count's going to be. Um, in most F4 championships, you can end up with maybe only 10 cars or you've got a paddock that's so large that not every car gets to race. Uh, and that's a risk. So the future could be a four. It's more likely to be like a um, bit like Formula E or even in the past we've had demo races, so a non-championship event for a higher up series, like the Masters of F3 at Zandvoort used to be, because obviously that's a narrow track. Um, but, you know, another key thing with last weekend was the Pogue Grand Prix had to run for it to then run in the future because as soon as they go oh we'll just take a year off and try and make it better next year that gives more freedom for the people who don't want the Grand Prix to happen to then go well if it can't run this year then why don't we just not run it next year and the year after that and, and that's a constant uh, risk it it faces so it kind of has to run no matter how bad it is to maintain its existence yes completely we are crossroads there with with the future of racing in, in the streets in in old school tracks definitely with cars become bigger but of course the points the points you made about promoting the race with lower lower category series things become very difficult and then obviously if you go for a race with formula 3 cars that do not overtake each other you get the criticism from from the public because they don't really see any show it's just cars going one behind the other without any on track action so it's it's uh, i think it's a difficult future for for this series for motorsport actually in this kind of old school street circuits so Move on to Formula Two. We we had testing in, in Barcelona with many drivers hoping to improve their performance for the following rounds. We had a triple header coming up next, Imola, Monaco and Barcelona. So we'll see what we get from, from there. Yeah, and important with this test is it was the first time the drivers based on this layout without the chicane which has been there for like 15 years now so what were the drivers saying on a new version of barcelona which is technically the old version if we're being honest yeah the overall impression was good the comments were good actually there were concerns that there would be they would be they they will be more tire wear on the front left especially but overall drivers enjoyed the fact that they were two highest pick corners, the second one quite difficult to be fair, especially in race conditions. First one was flat out for most of them, especially in qualifying. Then in the race, it will depend a bit on fuel load and it could be not flat at all at the beginning of the race. But as the driver, the laps go down, then we'll see drivers pushing more and more. But the the overall impression was good. There were some drivers actually who preferred the the old version. But in general, I think also we will see with overtaking because despite some of of the drivers said that they would be, make a big difference considering that they were following each other and it was more or less fine. 
they were concerned that in in race situation with all the uh, track rubber top and and rubber and just one line over over those corners things would become more difficult they would have to be more clinical in order to to get through the corners at the right speed not going off the line and and losing time in order to get to overtake at the end of the main straight which is actually the only realistic overtaking point at Barcelona and we had like the same drivers consistently being at the top of the times when you were speaking to them did did they seem convinced that that kind of pace was going to translate into when they're racing on the track or was it you know they were only fast because they were kind of specifically trying to be fastest on those days if that makes sense no, the overall feeling was good from the drivers on top. We had Chuck Duhan, who has endured a very difficult start to the season on top two days, day one and, and day two in the afternoon. And then we had Pocher in, in the last morning, who set the, the fastest time overall, which was, I think, over three and a half seconds faster than the previous year test. Uh, Pocher... The fact that Pusher was fastest in the last morning, I, I wouldn't take that much into account because of the temperatures. Temperatures were a little bit lower, conditions were better with a bit more rubber on track. And he had he was the one of the very few drivers with a new set of soft tires to, to use in the morning as the there was rain forecast for the last day. Most drivers used all the soft, all three sets of soft tires the, in the previous days. So Pocher saved one for, for the last day and went for a, a qualifying simulation, which was actually quite good, both on an old set he had on first and, and then on the on the new set, set for the second attempt. Then about the first two days, as you, you mentioned, we had Jack Duhin on top. He was confident the team could uh, sort the issues in his car. We'll see in the in the coming rounds. He said that he didn't want to get her his hopes up too much, but definitely the there were smiles in the virtuosi racing box, and I I could also speak with Jack's father, with Mick Duhin, moto motorbike world champion, five times motorbike world champion, and. He was. He said that overall, he saw Jack more relaxed, and that things should be going going better from now onwards. Were there any drivers who either had like big incidents or ended the week, not necessarily feeling more lost than they had beforehand, but left the test feeling like they still needed to learn things, they still needed to improve on things, and like they hadn't used the test as well as they thought they could. Not really. It was something that really surprised me because, you know, last year we had a lot of drivers in the gravel, hitting the wall. We had lots of red flags. I think it was in in the second day there were several red flags, but no one hit the tire barrier during the three days of running. So that's actually a good sign because we've seen several incidents, especially in Baku, we, we had a, a crazy sprint race. So, yeah, good sign. Drivers are seem to be getting the grips of, of the car now, and also the fact that Barcelona has lots of runoffs with now with the 
new version of the of the track. We have had some runoffs extended. So I think that might have helped. But overall, there were few incidents, few mechanical problems as well. Almost known, I, I would say, and lo lots of laps clocked. The overall feeling from everyone was pretty good. I mean, in testing, everyone hopes that all goes well and they go through the program. They all run lots of laps. So they more or less completed their, their programs. The only thing is there is always that incognito about will will it work in in real weekends? That that was the main question. But the test definitely left very very happy drivers, especially uh, ART Grand Prix, who were already very strong in, in previous rap in the early rounds of the of the season. They were really strong in testing with very good race pace and Teo was actually very confident coming into the following rounds, which where he has succeeded in, in the past. And then, of course, we mentioned Chuck already. In Prema, they are working. Frederick felt he was missing a little bit, but still he hopes he'll be there. And yeah, that's pretty much all. I mean, I know we probably can only expect rain and chaos this weekend at Imola because of the recent flooding, but uh, was anyone trialing or setups specifically with this weekend in mind, or was a generic kind of wider improvements and stuff suited obviously to the Barcelona track, given that was where they were testing? No, I mean, they did uh, try things overall for, for many different conditions. There was actually a lot of or running when track was wet, so that might might be useful for the um, for this weekend actually if it really happens and it really rains. The uh, the fact that we had some some consistent rain over those days, there were there were some a couple of hours where rain was consistent allowed drivers to complete consecutive lap consecutive laps in in rain and under rain under rain conditions. Sorry. So, yeah, it's it was good. I mean, I think they, of course, tried out things for specific thing, things for the Barcelona weekend. But the fact that temperatures weren't that high as you might expect during the weekend, during the Grand Prix weekend, made the, the test a bit more like a, a generic opportunity, uh, an opportunity to try, try out generic stuff that would work for um, almost every track, generic improvements rather than than track specific, mainly because of the of the temperatures difference. Everyone is expecting a very hot weekend in June, early June uh, for Barcelona, but we'll see because um, as as we've seen lately, the weather is crazy, at least here in, in Spain. So and we've as you mentioned, Imola is flood at the moment. We don't really know what will happen with the with the weekend. We hope it will go ahead. At least that's the idea at the moment. But we will need to wait and see whether the river level goes down a bit. Yeah, we can only hope. And given the scale of the, the extreme weather in the last two weeks has caused fatalities essentially like 
it can't be underestimated how dangerous it could be this weekend. Um, so the Grand Prix is kind of like the last layer of importance in handling this situation. But the Grand Prix, the, the track is probably actually the most vulnerable piece of land because it runs right next to the river and it's actually below the river. So um, like the fencing and the barriers of the of Imola are about 10 feet higher than the, the support paddock. And it means like if the river flows over, then it'll pours down into the paddock. So they've got barriers stopping that from happening at the moment. But if it goes any higher, you know, it, that might not be the case. Um, what else have we got this weekend? We've got a lot where <laughs> we've got um, we've got Chinese F4. We've got Formula Regional Americas. We've got US F4. We have British F4 at Snetterton. And I do believe we've got Formula Regional Europe at Barcelona as well and also F1 Academy at Barcelona but how much we'll find out about that is a bit <laughs> of an unknown given their uh, media policy at the moment and uh, actually another interesting thing I may add on the record uh, is that while I was at the Grand Prix, Po Grand Prix I was speaking to uh, media outlets from Italy, from France and Spain, from Germany and the complaints and the <laughs> the the way they are treated by certain series organizers and event organizers and you can say maybe the unprofessionalism that we have noted uh, not only on podcasts before but in writing and uh, many f1 journalists take to social media to kind of talk about this as well is that it's it's like although obviously as an outlet you sometimes feel you've been picked on when let's say a series doesn't answer your email or accreditation's being left too late but in reality uh you know these kinds of uh jobs you're not allowed to to act like that. And it's more a case of they are literally overwhelmed with so many people wanting accreditation or so many people who maybe don't normally cover their series suddenly asking, why is this happening? In the case of like the Emma floods this weekend or in Poe, you know, Euroformula being cancelled, that put a lot of pressure on, you know, a series decision that otherwise would not normally be scrutinised. Uh, but it then does mean that, you know, when, when as journalists you are scrutinising these things, the series feel a little bit more under pressure. Um, and it's just a thing I've noticed with, you know, because I know a lot of foreign journalists as well, pointing it out online and then actually being able to talk to each other in the paddocks and going, oh, we're not actually, you know, uh, it's all circumstantial rather than deliberate. And that's kind of encouraging because, you know, as, as journalists, you never want to be picked on by the the organisations you have to work with. But also it's discouraging because it shows that a lot of junior motorsport compared to Formula One does need more investment in PR in uh, you know someone being responsible for uh, signing in all the teams to the paddock being a separate person to the someone who's responsible for the media because in many events you have a person who is basically you know signing in that own series staff they're signing in all the team staff they're signing in all the media uh, they're responsible for so much and uh, particularly when a series promoter isn't just running one series, it might be running like a touring car series and a sports car series on the same bill. It just adds to the workload for everyone involved. So, uh, yeah, I think there's there's a lot to be learned. I think it's a good point to be made, though, because um, as, as journalists, sometimes we are prone to complain about these things. But knowing that actually it's almost a universal thing happening right now for a lot of outlets in many different languages and countries that we're having the same... Um, issues and <laughs> complaints that's uh that's uh not encouraging but i think you know for people who aren't journalists it's good for them to know that that sometimes we can't get stories out we can't get the level of detail that we would want because 
sometimes you know the people involved in those series or in those paddocks are not available to give it to us then they're either overworked or in some instances there are bigger priorities than you know treating the media uh you know giving information because they're gonna have to handle you know major disqualifications or in the Imola case you know the priority is to get the people who are at the track away from the track away from the flooding the last per the last people who should be told about what's going on is us because we're not there but obviously you know they need to be keeping everyone who is on track in the loop and you know i i found out directly from f2 teams today how that loop of communication was going and they were reading about it online first that they were you know not going to be allowed in the paddock and the paddock was at risk of flooding and then they were you know trying to to communicate with series organizers and the event promoter and formula one itself and it essentially comes down to once one person's got a reply that person can then forward on that reply who then forwards on that reply so eventually everyone gets the information they need but it's just not as quickly or as directly as you want it but there's an insight into how you know sporting events and, and i guess just any kind of live event handles situations like these you know it's interesting you have it with concerts and with football games and things like that as well uh, i think that sums it all up before i say anything else but if you do want to know more about the awful organization the pogrom Prix, then do check out the website and read uh, this week's feature because that's got the full inside story of essentially major miscommunication between three major players in the organization of the event and how that ended up with formula four cars being the, the top billing Morse, we will do we'll do either so we hope we do enjoy the our chat we hope you enjoy the podcast and see you well we don't see you but i hope to have you there listening to us in the following episode of the Fumlos Cal podcast. Thank you very much.